there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. Isn't it wonderful that life gives us so many reasons to have negative ideas? Wake up in the morning and go into the kitchen. You'll have lots of opportunity to have negative ideas. <laughs> life just, it's like a cornucopia of negative ideas. It's just constantly throwing them out there, offering them to us. No matter where we walk, there we could step in it. Oh, what's that? I stepped in a negative idea. Or you put your hand down. Oh, it's negative there. Oh. Or you, you turn around and somebody says something to you. It gets in your ear. You know, or you, you, you look at something and it gets in your eyes. It's like it comes in all of our senses. Like five senses are constantly being assailed with negative ideas by life. We have, let's think of some of the negative ideas like illness. Oh, everybody gets sick. Everybody gets sick sometime in their life. You have a baby. That baby is going to sooner or later get sick. There's all the childhood diseases that they could get. And so we go and we have them inoculated, and we have this happen and that happen, and we protect them from this and we protect them from that. Then they go to school and they get around somebody else and who is sick, and then they're sick. All the protection didn't in the world didn't. All of your little Clorox wipes that you bathe the child in, you know, and that you, here, keep these in your pocket. Every time you touch someone, wipe your hand, you know, whatever, as you're trying to make them an OCD. You know, as you're trying to give them obsessive compulsive disorder, it doesn't work. They get out there and they get sick anyway. So there's illness. Then there's injustice. You turn on the radio or the television, or you pick up the newspaper, and there's some new injustice, some new crime, some new idea to be negative about. There's death. No matter how well you treat yourself, no matter how careful you are, no matter how well you eat, you're going to die. Well, that's kind of a negative idea, isn't it? Yeah, I'm going to die no matter how good I am, no matter how wonderful I am, no matter if I give my body to be burned, I'll die. If I, you know, no matter what, I'm going to die. It's like, oh, that's, that's a negative idea. So then we have war. Look at the wars all over the world. There's always a war. I, I'm 61. I can't remember a time when there wasn't a war. My first recollection of war was the Korean War. Then there was the Vietnam War. And then there was the Gulf War. And then there was the war in Afghanistan. And then there was the war in Iraq. And then there was this war. And then there was... And that's only our wars. That's only the wars that we're involved in. Then the rest of the world is warring all the time, too, on their own. It's like, oh, no, you didn't invite us to your party. We're going to throw one of our own. So they throw a war. And then maybe two or three or four countries come. And then someone else feels left out. They didn't get a war. So they throw a war. And two or three other countries are involved in that. And when we throw the big wars, the world wars, then, you know, lots and lots of countries get involved. Switzerland, I don't know what's wrong with them. They don't ever want to get involved with the wars. They want to stay neutral about the whole thing, which maybe isn't such a bad idea when you think about it. And then if you haven't met enough negative ideas in life, then turn to entertainment. Turn on the television and just watch some television program. There will be wars and negativity and enough negative entertainment for you to take a bath in. You could just Sit down for two or three hours at a time and soak in negativity as it pours out of the negativity waterfall of the tube in your, or, or if you have now, if you have a flat screen, you know. And it can, now it can be in high definition with 5.1 Dolby, Dolby sound. It's like, look at what we have access to. 
we've got that, entertainment. Or, if you're really big time into it, go to the movies and see it on the big screen and have it pounded into your ears and your body with sound that comes from everywhere and that rattles your seat and your teeth. That was the last time I went to the movies. That's what it was for me. I got tricked into going to see something by two people who were sitting here laughing. It wasn't enough that the people in the, in the theater were so negative. I was like, my skin was crawling. But then, they, then, then the, the commercials, they have commercials in movie theaters now. Commercials. So then the commercials come on and the sound comes up and the sound is so loud I had to stick my fingers in my ears to be able to sit there. So anyway, you have that. Am I complaining? <laughs> negative ideas have an incredibly attractive power. I don't want to participate in that. I'll take my negativity in the thimble rather than in the bathtub. I'll take my neg negativity in by a drop, but rather in the swimming pool or the ocean or the river of negativity. Unless, of course, I really feel the need, then I'll dive right in. But hopefully, I'll, have, I'll come to my senses and get out as quickly as I got in. Negative ideas have an attractive power. Millions of people believe that the universe is meaningless. It, it sucks people in, this whole idea. It's all meaningless. You evolved from pond scum and electricity and some gases, and, and that's how you were made. And you just were an accident, and everything's just an accident. It's just this big bang thing. Everything just, boom, it all blew up, and then it squirted out monkeys and people and trees and tadpoles and things like that. And it's like, okay, it's all meaningless. And people have this idea that it's all meaningless, and this is a negative idea. And it's a negative idea is because, because it prevents individual growth. And individual growth makes people less dependent on external conditions. Individual growth makes us less and less dependent on the external world. Individual growth makes us less and less dependent on the outer man and makes us more and more reliant on the inner man as our center of gravity shifts from the outer to the inner. Man's higher purpose is a positive idea that gradually frees us from the power of external life. Life is meaningless is a negative idea. You can see how it could get people into depression. What's the point? Why bother? Nobody cares. It doesn't matter. You're going to die and that'll be it. There's nothing left. It's the end. There's no heaven. There's no hell. There's no going on. There's no stopping. It's just that's it. Your worm food, it's over. Life is meaningless. So eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we may die. That is not conducive to personal development or growth or moving on to something higher. There is nothing higher. It's all meaningless. When you understand that you do have a purpose, that you're here for a definite purpose, that you individually are here for a definite purpose or else you would not be here. When you understand that, you start to ask the question, well, what is that purpose? Good. This is the beginning of esoteric teachings. You can't have esoteric teachings unless someone says, what am I here for? What is my purpose? I know that I have some reason to be here other than just to eat and drink and procreate and go to work and come home and sleep and get up in the morning and do it all over again. There's more to life than that. What is my purpose? Esoteric teaching have the answer. Esoteric teachings come to the rescue when we start to ask that question. Before you ask that question, it doesn't matter. <laughs> life is meaningless for you. Or you find your meaning in the external application of life. Get rich, get married have sex, do this, do that, eat more, drink more, smoke a cigar, you know, buy a big car, blah, 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 blah. And then in the end you die and it's all gone and somebody else gets it and you get nothing. Life is meaningless again. As long as life holds sway over us, we can't change. Life keeps our personality, our ego, our acquired side active while it keeps our inner essence, the inner man, the internal you, 
the real you, the psychological you, passive. And when I say the psychological you, I don't mean it's all good there. The psychological you is like the kingdom of heaven. Remember where the kingdom of heaven is located? Right, It's up in the sky. No. Jesus said very clearly, the kingdom of heaven is within you. And then he also said that the kingdom of heaven is like a field with wheat and tares. Or he said it was like you know, going fishing. You throw a net into the water and you pull up fish, some good fish, some bad fish. The good fish you save and the bad fish you throw back, you throw away. The wheat and the tares. The wheat is the good seed that grows up. The tares are the weeds that grow up that look like wheat. And you can't really tell the difference when they're growing. It's only when the wheat grows and produces fruit that you can tell the difference between the wheat and the tares. He says at that time, separate the wheat from the tares. Bind the tares, take the wheat and put it into the barns. Take the tares, bind them up and throw them in the fire. Destroy them. The kingdom of heaven is like that. The kingdom of heaven is within you. What is in you? Well, what is in you is both good and bad. There's wheat and tares. There's good fish and bad fish. There's a pearl of great price in you. And then there are a lot of pearls, a lot of other pearls that really aren't that hot. You know, there's some crusty ones and some ill-shaped ones and some little ones and some dark ones and some pitted ones and some pearls that are just not that important. But there is one pearl in you that is the perfect pearl. And, you know, it's interesting that of all the precious stones that we have, diamonds are very hard, emeralds and rubies and sapphires, a pearl is the softest. So the pearl of great price in you is that softest place in you, that place that life tells you you cannot live from. Because in life, you've got to be hard as a diamond in order to withstand the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Thank you, William Shakespeare. Change, exchange, transformation, awakening, enlightenment. All it is really is reversal. What's now active is made passive so that what is now passive can be made active. So that you can find the pearl of great price in you. You find the thing in you that is more valuable than anything else. And you go and you take everything else you have and you go and you sell it. You get rid of it so that you can have this pearl of great price. You find that as you grow, things inside of you that are growing up inside of you that are not good for you. They're not the wheat. So you wait until harvest time and then you separate the wheat from the tares. You bind the tares into bundles and you throw them in the fire. What is the fire? The fire is purification. You purify it. Well, where do we get the fire? We get the fire through our interaction with the work ideas. Our resistance causes suffering. There is some suffering that is necessary. There's a lot of suffering, most of it, that's useless and unnecessary. But there's some suffering that's necessary. A well-trained outer man won't steal and he won't murder as long as fear is active in him. A well-trained outer man is trained by fear. Why is it that people don't steal and don't murder in an outer way? Well, because it's against the law. It's a crime, they'll go to jail. So as long as fear is active, they won't do that. So a well-trained, average, ordinary man will not steal or murder. If he's not well-trained, he may not have the fear, and he may indeed steal and murder. Remove the fear, and all bets are off. When they don't have the fear, they will steal, they will murder. If the inner man is developed, he also wouldn't steal and wouldn't murder. So this goes back to Arthur's question about turning the other cheek. The inner man won't steal and won't murder if he's developed. The outer man won't steal and won't murder if he's well-trained. Remove fear from the outer man, and he will steal and he will murder. Remove fear from the inner man, and he still won't steal, and he still won't murder, because that's not what his motivation was. Fear was not his motivation. Understanding was his motivation. And when understanding is your motivation, then you act from your understanding, not from your fear. 
The biggest difference between the inner man and the outer man is the inner man acts from knowledge and understanding, and the outer man acts from fear and restraint from fear. The inner man understands why he doesn't murder or steal. I know why I don't murder or steal, and it's not because I'd be arrested, and it's not because I might get caught. It's because those things don't work. I understand that. Now, some people say crime does pay. I say, fine, have a happy life. For me, I understand, and so there's no question. There's no convincing me. There's no training me in an outer way. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to murder. Now, hating someone is murdering them. When you hate someone, you're murdering them in your heart. So that's another step that you have to take inside to get beyond that. So the big difference between the inner man and the outer man is one is governed by the outer, and the other is governed by the inner. So the inner man is governed by real conscience. The outer man is governed by external circumstances and life, outer life. Life develops the outer man, but life does not develop the inner man. So as long as you're developing in an outer way, chances are you're not developing in an inner way, unless you are taking in food that doesn't come from life, food grown in a different field. So you have the food that's grown in the world, and we all eat that, and we all drink the water, and we all do whatever we do in the world. And that develops us in an outer way. But there's an internal food that comes through esoteric teachings from C influences, B influences, that feeds us internally. And the inner man can develop along with the outer man if you're getting the food. But that's not how it works for us. How it works for us is the inner man stops developing at a certain age, somewhere between four and five, and the outer man starts to develop. And the world then becomes important. And it starts to feed the outer man, and the outer man begins to develop. And the inner man just stops. His growth just stops, pretty much. At some point, you come to this place in life when you have become a good householder. You have a job. You have a car. You have a family. You have a wife or a husband or whatever you have. And, and you're, you find that there's some emptiness in you. There you find that there's a place inside of you for a pearl of great price, but there's no pearl of great price to put, on the, put in the place. And so you start to look and ask, what am I doing here? What is this for? At that point, it's possible for the inner man to begin to develop, but it will develop at the expense of the outer man at that point. Esotericism applies to the development of the inner man. Life develops the outer man. What you are, apart from external restraints and fears, is what esotericism applies to your development, to develop what you are apart from restraints and fears. When we speak of self-observation, we mean observing your inner states and what you are like. Self-observation is probably the most misunderstood concept in this work. People don't get it. They don't get what it really is. They can't seem to observe their inner states and what is triggering them outside at the same time without identifying at the same time. So like last night, Patty said to me, I recognize that I am negative. I said, yes, recognizing that, I said, you, you're not seeing this. She said, I recognize this. I said, yes, but that's not seeing it. When you're recognizing it, you are acknowledging that you are negative and you're in it. When you see it, you are not being it. Seeing it is observing it. It's not recognizing it. There's a difference. Seeing it involves separation from it. Yeah, recognizing it is not the same thing as 
observing it. Observing it in the true sense of the word, as we use it, is not to be identified with it, is to step apart from it and observe it the same way I can observe Tammy yawning and Steve sitting over there, you know, like he's going to fall asleep. I observe that, you know, it's like, well, clearly I'm not sitting over there like that, and clearly I wasn't yawning, so I can see that. So there's something that isn't that, that is seeing that. And my identity, my identity, quite frankly, is over here in this chair, not over there in that chair. So when I, when observing I, observes it from here, it is observing something that's not itself. When I recognize that I'm negative, it's like recognizing that my foot just went to sleep or like recognizing that I need to cough or that I need to scratch my head or that it's time to do something else. Do you, you see the difference? One is internal. It's happening in here and, I'm, and it's me doing it. The other one is not that. It is separate. That's what we're talking about with self-observation. We begin to see what we are outwardly isn't what we are internally. One of the things that life teaches us is how to hide what we are internally. It teaches that very early. We acquire this very early from our parents. It is not okay to say certain things, to do certain things. We learn that very clearly, explicitly. No one comes and says, well, sometimes people do come and say, you never do this. But we learn through all kinds of signals. Your mother will taste something, and you'll be sitting there watching her, and your mother will taste something and go, ugh, now you know not to eat that. You may like it, but now you know that it's not okay to eat that, that if you eat that, your mother is not going to approve of you. So this is how it works for us in the outer way. We start to pick all that stuff up. When we begin to realize that, and we don't even have to realize it, we can just recognize it, that what we are inwardly is not what we are outwardly. In other words, that we're pretentious. You don't even have to know it, and you will suffer. You will suffer because it creates a contradiction in you. It's like metal grinding against metal. That same kind of nasty sound, that same kind of nasty feeling that you get, or fingernails on a chalkboard. It's something that, it's the contradiction in us with the flow of our internal life meeting the restraints and the fears of the outer and the grinding of the two. When we're children, it's most difficult for us, but then the more unconscious we become, the easier it is for us to simply live this outer life and then have partitions and then go and live the inner life. So we'll talk about what that would look like for adults in a little bit. But the, the suffering of contradiction is a difficult suffering, but it's useful suffering. When, as adults, we begin to be able to see again the contradiction. As we're, when we're children, we begin to see the contradiction. You remember when you were a very small child and you had someone in your life who said one thing and meant another, and you knew, you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt what they really meant, and you knew that that was a hypocrite, you knew that they were pretentious, and perhaps before you learned to keep your mouth shut about it, you said something and got your face slapped or got in trouble somehow. Somehow they made you know that was not okay. Do you remember that? Good. Everybody seems to have some kind of a recollection of that. Then that goes away, and we become anesthetized to the contradiction and the hypocrisy of people. And we become hypocrites ourselves and pretentious ourselves, and we live in their world, and we forget our old childhood world. But then there comes a time when you're living in their world and you say, there's more, I remember, there's something else. And then you long for it. And that's when esoteric teachings come to you. And that's when you can begin to free yourself from the prison of that world that you took on that was not your world and return to 
your real world, pick up where you left off as a child, and begin to develop that part of you. That's what this work is about. That's what esoteric teachings are about. Unity of being is when the outer and the inner conform. What we are now is the outer and the inner do not conform. If you know that about yourself, that's good, because then you have been able to observe that. You have been able to observe the contradictions, and it's been painful for you. Has it been painful? <laughs> I, I will often see people just, you can see them just kind of grit their teeth. Oh, I'm so sick of me. I'm just so tired of me. I'm, Or as Eckhart Tolle said, I can't live with myself any longer. I just can't live with myself any longer. And we all come to that. I can't live with myself any longer. Unfortunately, the, the self just doesn't become passive instantaneously for most of us, like it did with him. For the rest of us, we have to work it out. Oh, well, that's the way that goes. We begin by realizing we're out of phase. You just feel like you're out of phase, like there's something happening inside, but you're not able to express it outside. You find yourself hiding your tears by turning your face away or, or hiding your smiles by covering your mouth with your hand or, biting, or hiding your anger by biting your tongue or whatever. You find that there's, you're just out of phase, like you can't just be who you are because who you are is so unacceptable. That is the beginning of this. What we pretend to be, we're not. And that's a bitter pill sometimes. It's just a dose that is very difficult to take. What we pretend to be, we're not. Ordinary outer man is kind to a person outwardly, but internally he hates and murders him. We are ordinary men. We will be kind to a person outwardly, but inside we will hate them. Inside we will dislike them. Inside we will keep internal accounts against them. But outside we'll pretend to like them. This is not a unity of being. This is not the inside and the outside conforming. This is hypocrisy. This is what we are trying to move beyond. We're trying to get rid of this. Well, of course we don't want you to bring all your hatred out here and make it public. What we want you to do is deal with your hatred internally. What we want to do is deal with our own hatred internally and remove the source of it. Once we remove the source of it, it's like turning the fire off under a pressure cooker. Then the pressure stops building up. Without positive ideas, no one can develop. Believing in greater mind is a positive idea. Believing that the universe is meaningless is a negative idea. Believing that there is a purpose beyond it all is believing in greater mind. That's a positive idea. All of a sudden, it brings you out of that meaningless negativity and puts you into a positive idea. Yes, there's a reason for me to be here. I can discover that purpose that I have, and I can fulfill it, or I can begin to fulfill it. I can start to move in that direction right now. There is something that I can do about this, even though I know that I can't really do anything. We'll talk about the contradiction of that in a little bit. Man who thinks he's isolated, independent, he thinks he knows and he thinks he can do with his finite mind, that man will perish. Because for that man, life truly is meaningless. Thinking we can do, thinking we can change other people, reform the world and save the whales, may appear to be positive ideas, but they're negative ideas. People who think they can do in this work are called lunatics. We're all, to some degree, lunatics. Because we imagine that we can do things that we later find out we couldn't do at all. I'm not going to be negative to that person any longer. And then they'll say something, and before we know it, we're in it. We have no ability to do. We know what to do, but we can't do it. Someone who thought he could be a brain surgeon without the knowledge and the training and the understanding would be considered a lunatic if he tried to operate on someone else's brain, wouldn't he? He'd be considered mentally impaired delusional. 
I don't know what's politically correct. I'm sure that this is another thing. See, this is political correctness. I'm going to go off on a rant here on political correctness. Political correctness is fear and restraint applied to the outer man to make him conform, where the inner man is left to fend for himself. Outer life has nothing for the inner man. It does not develop the inner man. All it does is restrain the outer man so that he doesn't say those words anymore. But inside, he is still full of as much hatred and prejudice and anxiety and angst and negativity as he was before he had the restraint put on him from outside. It's an evil way to live life. From the outside in is an evil way to live life. It causes a lot of problems. To live life from the inside out is the best way to live life. But we have to get in a position where we can do that. I've said that in life, understanding is the booby prize. And then I talk about understanding as if it's something that you should have. Why the contradiction? Because people stop there. They get understanding, they think that's all they need. No, understanding is the starting place to live your life. It's not the ending place. I understand, therefore I understand my cup is full. No, I understand, now I have to live that. I understand, now I have to work that out into the outer world. I understand, now I must do something about it. That's the difference. When people just have understanding and sit on their laurels about it, it's the booby prize. So what? So you understand. What has changed? Nothing. How has your condition changed? It hasn't. Now I have the delusion that because I understand, I'm happy. Or I have the delusion that because I understand, now I'm somebody. Now I've made it. Now I've arrived. Understanding is the beginning place, not the ending place. Our whole possibility of internal development lies in the fact that we can be more or less deluded even within the limits of our current perception. Your perception doesn't necessarily have to change. You don't have to have a big shift in perception to see that you can be more or less deluded. You can be more or less deluded right where you are in your life. And this is when Gurdjieff said that we can't do, but we have a little bit of room in, like a violin in a violin case. There's a little bit of room for movement. Even in the case, even in the violin case of our own locked perceptions, the perceptions that we now have that are, that are closed off, that are not open-ended, even here, we can be a little more or a little less deluded. So if we can be a little less deluded, that's a little bit of movement. Maybe you can't do, but if you can get that little bit of movement, then everything begins to change. One thing always leads to another. So a little less deluded leads to something else. And that's what this work is based on. Thinking that just because you are now a less deluded violin in a, in a violin case, that you can now spring open the case, jump out, and go running around is, in, is, is more deluded then. You can be a little less deluded, but that doesn't mean you, it still doesn't mean you can do, but it will lead to something else. Our chief delusion is that we can do. We're not attempting to change our level of doing. You never hear me give talks about how to change your level of doing. You only hear me talk about changing your level of being. You never hear me really talk about how to deal with turning the other cheek in an outer way. I'm only talking about how to turn the other cheek in an inner way. Now, it, it's true that people will take it as an outer thing because the outer man always takes esoteric teachings which are made, meant for the inner man in an outer way. Why? Well, because that's all he knows. The outer man only knows that. But the inner man, as it begins to develop, begins to see that there is another teaching for the inner man. There is food for him, and he too can develop a little bit at a time until one day he will supplant or reverse the order of the outer man and the inner man. Now we are ruled by the outer man. We want a reversal of that so that we're ruled by the inner man. Now we can turn the other cheek 
outwardly. Arthur turned the other cheek outwardly, clenched his fist, and walked away. That was turning the other cheek outwardly. He did it because of fear and restraint. He, he did it because if he popped the guy, he'd go to jail. He did it because of the restraint of, well, if he popped the guy, maybe the guy would pop him back, you know, and whatever. But it was fear and restraint. But when the inner man is active, when the, when the reversal happens and the inner man is active, and you don't have to wait for the reversal. It can happen today. Now, it'll reverse back, too, but <laughs> it can happen many times in a day. The reversal does happen many times in a day. The inner man becomes more active, and the outer man becomes more passive. And we're at a place now where this begins to happen with us more and more every day. And sometimes, maybe not every day, but every week for some of you. Or maybe once every two weeks for some of you. Whatever. It happens. You understand what I'm talking about. There's reversal, and then it switches back. It's like in the Bible, they talk about the, the beast that receives a deadly head wound, but then it comes back to life. Well, that's the outer man. <laughs> that is the outer man. The mark of man is 666. The mark of the beast is the outer man. You are the beast. Your outer man is the beast. The acquired personality is the beast. You try to kill it. You shoot it in the head, and it dies. And then a little while later, it comes back to life again, and it's in charge again. This can be very discouraging if you don't understand the process. And it's obviously, it can be a whole religion if you don't understand the esoteric teaching. Revelation is clearly an esoteric book. People who come along and take that literally talk about faith. Now that's faith. When you can come and take something that was clearly meant esoterically, clearly meant as allegories, clearly meant, I mean obviously meant that way, and take it literally, that takes incredible faith. But it's incredible faith in the outer man. So they end up serving the very thing that they hate. That's bizarre. But that's, how, that's what life does to us. Have, do, be must be reversed to be, do, have. You've heard me talk about this before. Have, do, be. The, you want to be a ballerina. So you go and you buy the toe shoes and the tutu, and you put them on. You have the ballerina things. And then you start doing the things that ballerinas do. You try and walk on the toes of the toe shoes, and you hold your arms out like ballerinas hold their arms out. And then you are a ballerina. So then you are being a ballerina. And that's how the outer man approaches everything. Have, do, be. First I'll have the things, then I'll do the things, then I'll be that. But the way life really flows is be, do, have. You are being who you are. Then you will have what your being attracts to you, and then you will do what you do, because there won't be anything else for you to do. How difficult it is for us to realize everything happens the only way it can. It's as certain as rain, sunshine, or ice. When does it rain? It rains when the atmospheric conditions make precipitation. It's scientifically fixed. It has to happen. It happens the only way it can happen. When does the sun shine? The sun shines the only time it can shine. When is there ice? There is ice only when the atmospheric temperature falls below 32 degrees Fahrenheit. Everything happens the only way that it can. When we're dominated by the outer world, everything happens the only way it can happen. When the external world is acting on us the same way that the temperature acts on water and makes it rain or makes it ice or makes it steam or turns it from ice to back to water or from steam back to water. That is the external world acting on the element, water. Well, when the external world is acting on you, everything happens the only way it can. Can you see? There's no other way for it to happen. That's the only way it can happen. And in that sense, the work says man is a machine. 
because he is operated by external conditions. All of our thoughts, all of our feelings, our actions, all of our opinions, our beliefs, our habits, all of our convictions are the result of external influences. But we can't stand this idea. No, I am not a machine. I'm a real person. No, you're not, Pinocchio. But you have the possibility to become a real boy. Now, a lot of people like to think Gurdjieff is your fairy godmother, but I'm not one of those people. I think that esoteric teachings will lead you to find what you need to find if you can surrender to them. A positive idea from the conscious realm, from ancient esoteric wisdom, helps us to supplant the personality with the ego, or helps us, if you prefer, to supplant the outer man with the essential inner man, the part of you that you were created to be that needs to be developed. Each applied positive idea nourishes this inner man, reversing passive and active, making the outer man more passive, making the inner man more active. It's a slow process. Unfortunately, it's like climbing a flight of stairs. It takes step after step after step. Now, some people just fall up the flight of stairs and they're there in an instant. We're not those people. It looks like we're stair climbers. Feed your inner man these positive ideas. You know, I make these podcasts available to the world and it would be wise for you to listen to them. Even though you sit here and hear the talk and you think, oh, well, I got all that. I think it's a good idea to take advantage of what you've got. Go back and listen and let it sink in deeper. Go back and listen a few times and let it sink in deeper. It's not going to hurt you. You may think that it won't do you any good, but your thoughts are happening the only way they can. Try and allow something else to feed your inner man. It's more important than your outer man at this point. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.